the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denver Lee. Last week, we, we ended um, our series on the church, and um, we spent some time talking about what the church is. And, and, and last week, I spoke on a message that I titled, No Small Parts. And um, the idea there is that everybody gets to play, that everybody is gifted, that um, there is no such thing as a small gift. And if you view your gift as small, then you will never use it. And then the gift that you view as big, they will suffer. And then the body will be disabled and crippled. And then we'll be wondering what is wrong with the church. And, 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 and we will never really begin to function as we are. And some of the, the gifts that we, we kind of put on highlight were like the gift of hospitality, the, the, the gift of encouragement, um, some of the gifts that a lot of people in this room have, but sometimes we have the tendency to look at the miraculous things and um, some of the things that I, 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 I look at what Jesus does in them and I'm like, yes, more Lord, like we need more of those gifts in, in the body, but a lot of you need some encouragers around you and a lot of people need to have some hospitable people around them. This is Miami. And I think that one of the gifts that the Lord is really wanting to pour out in this city is the hospitality. Um, and <laughs> and I, I was joking once that, you know, like how we, we have these conferences, you know, like the healing conference and the prophetic conference, that we should have like a hospitality conference, you know, <laughs> like, like because that's a gift too. That, that's like one of those things, you know, and, and, and like we should come and teach people how to be hospitable and baptize them with the Holy Spirit so that they don't give me the finger in traffic and all kinds of good stuff that they'll just turn it around and wave hello, you know, whatever. So, um, but I, at the end of the message last week, um, I had something in my notes that I wanted to share. Um, and even though um, we're not going to be going on with that series today, I, I just want to begin by sharing that because I, I still believe that it is relevant for now. Um, but that many have given up on the church because the church has failed them. And some of you in this room may have given up on the church because the church has failed you. Or, or you know people who may have given up on the church because the church has failed them. And I believe that the church has failed them because perhaps we've all had a limited view of what the church is supposed to be and, we, and, and what kind of church that we're supposed to be like, what the church is. Um, if we have an unrealistic and unbiblical and unspiritual, unscriptural expectation of the church, then the church will fail us. Like, if, if you believe that the church is supposed to be something that Jesus never sets it up to be, the church will fail you. Because it will never fulfill the thing that you believe it to be. The church is not a hospital for folks to come and get fixed up by supernatural professionals or by spiritual professionals. That's not what the church is. A healthy church cannot revolve around a building, and a healthy church cannot revolve around the leadership. A, a healthy church cannot rev- revolve around a pastor. Um, and, and as the senior pastor of the church, I, this, this, this church cannot and will not revolve around me. A healthy church must be centered on the present promises and the works of Christ. Um, that is the center of what the church is to gather around. And those things are expressed in you all. And a healthy church must be centered around fellowship and the assembly of the called out ones. The church is healthy when you all do the stuff. The church is not a healthy one when two or three people do everything. The church is not healthy when there's five gifted people. And it certainly isn't healthy when there's one gifted speaker 
or one prophet. That's not a healthy church. That's not the church that Jesus built. And, and lastly, it is about building up, edifying, and caring for one another because this is how God dwells with us. And that is what the church is. I, I believe that that is the church that Jesus built. Um, and I believe that anything else that doesn't look like that, anything that finds its center point around anything else. Some, there are some people who, um, you know, I'm sure you all hear the stories of, of like some of the reasons why people left church. For, for those of you who are, who are new here, um, December is going to be a year since my wife and I have been this, the senior leadership of this church. And, and this church is 11 years old. And, um, and for 10 years, uh, pastors Ralph and Kathy, who were the uh, church planters of the Doral Vineyard, um, have pastored and led this church. And, and as, as, I, as, as I look at what type of church we want to be in and, and the direction that we want to go in, um, I, I have to say that it, it's, it's something that I pray about quite often uh, like, what is the Lord calling us to be like, and, and what, what kind of people is he calling us to be? And so some, some people wrestled as to whether or not they should leave Doral Vineyard um, after the senior pastors and church planters left. And, and I had this conversation with many of you, um, and I expressed that change is inevitable. So whether you leave Doral Vineyard and go to another church, that's going to be a change. And if you stay here, it's going to be a change. Even if you go to California with Ralph and Kathy, it's still going to be a change. And so change is going to be inevitable. So you've got to follow that change. Like Nate was sharing, it's a step forward. You get a little bit uncomfortable. You learn some new things and you jump on the ship and you learn to do something different to make you keep going. But, but, but change is definitely inevitable when it comes to uh, these types of transitions. But I think the, the, the strength of it and what I have seen, and I just want to share that it's, it's, it's really humbling to me um, just to see the lengths and the depths to which many of you have really become the church. Um, and, and for those of you who, who wrestled with it and, and who heard from the Lord and, and, and who decided to just become a part of something bigger, um, I, I'll say that this is, this is a dream, this is the vision of the church. Um, and, and you're hearing the Lord, and you're following the direction, and you're becoming a part of something bigger than yourself. And so in, in the series of the, the church, that's, that, that's really what I wanted to get across to us, is that the church is about you guys. The church is about the body. The, the, the church is about your giftings and your strengths. And so if you don't like the kids' church, that's not a reason to leave. You know, um, <laughs> if you don't like the fact that we don't have, like, all the stuff that other churches have, when people tell me that they leave churches for certain reasons, I say things like, oh, so that's why you were going. <laughs> all right, so enough of that. <laughs> I'm passionate about the church because I truly, be, I truly believe that the church is the agent to bring the presence of God into the world. I, I absolutely believe that. We send missionaries out. Some of you may go out and do street evangelism. But since the time of Christ, the church has been the single agent in the world to lead more people to Christ than anything else. There is no evangelistic organization that is out there. It is the local church that leads people to the Lord. 
it happens more by the local church than anywhere else. So when people say that I don't believe in the local church, I don't want to be a part of the local church, like I don't understand how you get to experience, because this is God's idea. You all coming to, together and having fellowship with one another, using your gifts to, it's like, this is God's idea for it. And so when people say that they don't want to be a part of that, I'm like, how are you experiencing God? And that's not my message for today. So um, today I want to talk about um, b- belonging to Jesus, belonging to Jesus. And I'm, I'm going to begin by reading out of Romans 1, um, just, just to kind of set some, um, some parameters here as to what I'm going to be sharing. Um, and then I'll share for about 20 minutes and I think we'll be finished. Romans 1 verse 1, Paul writes to the church in Rome. He introduces himself, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for God, for the gospel of God, and the gospel that he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was the descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he just introduces Jesus. And in verse five, if you have your Bibles with you, this is the portion I would like for you to highlight and circle and underline. Through him, Jesus, we receive grace and apostleship to call all Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And in verse six says, and you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called by his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that through him we receive the grace, which is the power, and he says, um, and the apostleship, which is the authority, to call all the Gentiles to the obedience of faith for his name's sake, and that we are also, the church in Rome, he's talking about, they're also called to belong to Jesus Christ. And, um, and I want to share this message today because I believe that um, you are also called to belong to Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about how do you belong to Jesus Christ? Um, what is, and, and for those of you who, 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 who haven't really made a commitment to follow Jesus, I'm not talking about made a decision to not go to hell. I'm saying if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to talk about how do you make that decision to follow Jesus and what does it look like? How do you become followers of Christ? If you turn to John chapter 13. John 13 um, is right where, where, where they're about to celebrate the Passover, right? So Jesus and his disciples are about to celebrate the Passover. John chapters 1 through 12 are all about Jesus calling people to life. So John chapters 1 through 12, Jesus goes out and he's talking about the offering of eternal life. He's talk, he, he discusses and he demonstrates the fact that you can find life, that you could find the purposes of life, that, 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 that you can find the power of life, you could find true life. He offers life to us and then he makes it clear that he is the life that you're looking for. So all of chapters 1 through chapters 12, Jesus is saying life is much bigger than anything you've ever thought it was. He says, if you think that life is the 80 years that you have, there's something bigger. If you thought that life began when you popped out of your mother's womb, there's something much bigger. Be born again. And he talks about this new life, this, this new thing. And he paints this big picture of what life really is, the purposes of life, the greatness of life. And then he says, I am that life. And he says, this life comes only through me. 
And, and, and that's John chapters 1 through 12. And then um, in chapter 13 is really where he shifts the focus and it becomes more personal. And we start to see Jesus interact with his disciples on a personal level. And, and I love this portion of John because you really get to see the characteristics of God. Um, if, if, if you ever wonder what God is like, um, he only displays himself through the person of Christ. And one of the best ways to find out what is he really like, like if you wanted to know, like, what is Pastor Denville like? Like, you see me up here talking, you, you might see me around the church and like, you know, like he's happy, he likes people, he shakes hands, he's, you know, he's, he's a great guy. If you really want to know about who I am and how I am, you come to my house, you see how I handle my family, you see how I talk to my wife, you see how I talk to my children, you see how I am when I'm in my car by myself, when people do things I don't like. Like, you, you get to see me like how I deal with people who are close to me. How do I treat my parents? How do I treat my siblings? Like how do I behave when it's not the public view, when it's not the public platform? And that's what John 13 to the end offers us. We start to see the heart of Jesus. It's no longer his public ministry. Now you're seeing his private ministry and you get to see what his heart is really like and what Jesus is really about. And that's what John 13 offers us. John 13 is parallel to Luke 22. So I'm going to read out of both because um, for, for, for those of you who don't know, John is, John is an apostle. He, he was a disciple who walked with Jesus. And John writes last. So when John writes his gospel, all of the other gospels are already written and they're already out in distribution and people already have them. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, people already have those. And even Acts, some portions of Acts are already out there. Like people are, this is being circulated already. So now the apostle John, who actually walks with Jesus, he starts to write. And he's writing knowing that you all already have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you all know some about the the early church in, in the book of Acts. So he writes to offer something completely new and different, the side of Jesus that Matthew, Mark, and Luke probably didn't get to. So he's not writing to, 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 to redo what you already know through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but he wants to show you the heart of Christ. And so this is why John's gospel is not a synoptic gospel. It's not the same as Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who wrote right around the same time, and they're, they're expressing the same things. But John writes with a different intent so that you would come to know the heart of God. This is why John writes. Not that you would know the facts of Christ's history, because you already have that with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He wants you not to know the facts of history. He wants you to know the facts of the heart of God. What is God really like? How do I understand and interpret God? That's why John writes. So I'm going to start from Luke 22. Um, Luke 22, 14 begins that when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And, and, and this is at the Passover meal. So this is right before the Passover festival. They're about to have the Passover meal. For those of you who don't know, uh, the Exodus event, the splitting of the Red Sea when they got out of Egypt. Um, the, before they got out of Egypt, the, the, the Lord said to kill a lamb and to paint the, bl- the blood above the doorpost. And the angel of death is going to pass over. It's going to kill everything except for the, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites. And then he says, you ought to celebrate this day when you took the blood of the lamb and you spread it over. And the angel of death came and he passed over you. So things died but you didn't die. And this is what the celebration is about. Jesus celebrated the Passover as Jesus was a Jewish man. Uh, Verse 15 says, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
So Jesus is now alluding to the fact that this whole thing of Exodus where, where the lamb was killed and because of the blood of the lamb, the angel of death came and passed over and you didn't die. He's saying that was just a picture for what I'm about to do. What I'm about to do is I'm the lamb of God. I'm about to be broken and, ha- and hung up on the cross and the angel of death is going to pass over and death is going to die, but you are not. And, and so because of his blood, you get to live. So, so, so he's bringing this parallel with himself and the Passover. Verse 16, I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, if you go to John 13, so that's what Luke writes. So now when John writes, John is writing about the same event. It's the same exact event John's writing about, but now he's going to not just give you the facts of what happened. He's giving you the heart of what happened. So he's going to talk about some, some different instances. And with your holy imagination, I want you to picture this room where Jesus is eating with his disciples and understand that they talked about the institution of the Last Supper and of communion. So this is the place where Jesus would have taken the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup. That whole thing happened during this time. So Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke would have alluded more to that, but John doesn't talk about the institution of the Last Supper. He goes a whole different direction, but it's the same meal that's happening. Like if we have dinner together, we have dinner for like three hours, right? And over, those, and over the course of three hours, you all might say some high points of the evening, and I might have my different high points of the evening. So this is what's happening. John is saying, these are my high points for the evening of the Last Supper, and they're different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So John writes in, in John 13, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So all the other Gospels talked about this high point where Jesus breaks the bread, he takes the wine, he said, this is my body. John says, all right, you have that. Let me tell you what else happened that night. That night, as, as we're at this table, right, and, and just so you know what, what da Vinci did in the, you know, you guys seen the picture of the Last Supper where all the disciples would have gathered on one side of the table and someone took a picture. That's not what it looked like, right? Um, so, so, they, so the table would not have had any chairs. They're, they're kind of like in a laying, sit-in position kind of thing. Um, and as they're at this table together, they, they will be leaning on their left side, eating with their right side, and their feet would be furthest from the table, right? So they'll kind of be laying like, like, like that, kind of in a circle, and they're, they're eating and they're reaching off the, the, the table kind of... Re- That's why in, in Luke, um, Luke said... When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. It doesn't mean that they had recliners where they, where they were laying back. It just means that they were laying on their side because that's how they ate in that culture, right? So, so as, as they're there, now you have to imagine this is, this is a celebration. So they're talking. There's an exchange. Bartholomew is talking to Judas, and Peter is talking to Andrew and Jesus, and they're having a conversation, and they're sitting kind of like in this reclined position, and all of a sudden, Jesus gets up from the table, and he goes into the corner, and he starts to do his own thing while the rest of them are talking. And as, 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 they're, as they're laying there, the discussion that they're having, I think, is really important. Um, there is a discussion that all the Gospels take account of. John also takes account of this discussion. And if, if you go to Luke 9, uh, 43, 
you see that there's something that the disciples just found themselves talking about all the time. The one thing that they always talked about was who was the greatest. They always talked about who was the greatest. And in, in Luke 9, you see the same thing happen. While everyone marveled all at what Jesus did, um, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, but they did not understand what he meant. It was hidden from them, and so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him. And just like the rest of us, when we don't understand the words and the mission of Jesus, we revert to the one thing. I don't understand that, but I haven't sinned in five days. <laughs> I don't understand, like, I don't understand what this book means, but let me tell you about, I have a relationship with God. I pray all day. I fast three times a week. Like, how often do you fast? Let me tell you how to get this spiritual life together. When you don't understand what Jesus is really saying, you start to glorify you. And the, and the, the finger comes back to you. That's, it's the same thing that happened here. Verse 46, an argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them were the greatest. And we see throughout the gospel, they argue about this all the time. I feel two ways about it. Um, I think it's good because th- these are fishermen, yeah. tax collectors, like sinners. And all of a sudden, people who used to feel like they were nothing start to feel like they're better than other people. <laughs> now, that's bad. But let me tell you the good thing about it is that when you're around Jesus, there's something about Jesus that makes you feel great. There's just something about Jesus that stirs up greatness inside of you, right? And, and so while I do feel two-sided about it, like, like when people say, like, oh, like Christians are arrogant or whatever, I'm like, yeah, but you got to understand, they were depressed for the first 22 years of their lives. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I get that they're arrogant, but you've got to understand where they came from, and there's something about this man that has made them arrogant. You don't just go from depression to arrogant because you had a good idea. There's something about Jesus that puts into the heart of these people, you are so much better than you thought you were. You thought you were just a dirty fisherman that the Sadducees and Pharisees pushed aside. You thought that because you had a minimum wage-paying job and you had no benefits, you had no family, you didn't have a nice car, you thought you were nothing. But then Jesus showed up, he declared himself to be God, and he started to whisper some sweet somethings into your ear. And you started to feel like... I, I am somebody, no matter what people say. You know? Like, I can't get up and do this. I can't fish for men. You know? like, you start to get, like, you start to get something rise up inside of you. That's what happens when you come into a relationship with Jesus. He changes the way that you see you. That's the good part. But then there's the other part. Then it goes into arrogance. So there's a balance there. There is, there is a balance, but there's something that happens. Fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, these people who were not high-class people started to argue, I am better than you because of my position to Jesus. And there is a sense of greatness that comes from there. So, and then in Luke 22, now at the dinner table, we see the same thing. So in Luke 22, verse 24, a dispute arose amongst them again as to which of them was considered the greatest. So they had this argument in Luke 9. Now we're in Luke 22. And here they are again, reclined at the table, sitting together. And, and at some point, John's like, the one who Jesus loves is me. And then Peter's like, he said that he's going to build a church on me. <laughs> like, 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 and everyone's kind of doing this thing where it's like, well, he, he loves me more. Did you, like, he did call me first. Like, he called me first. 
You know, and, and then poor Philip, like, Jesus had to come and get you, Philip. No one cared about you. You know, and so Philip must be like, oh, well, he loves me. He, he came and found me when you all forgot about me. So then he loves me more. And Peter's like, well, he healed my mother-in-law. So he loved me so much, he's getting into my family. And they started to have this argument about who Jesus loves more and who is the greatest and etc. Verse 25, Jesus says to them, the kings of the, of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. Or, or some versions say, not so with you. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and those who rule like the ones who serve. And so in John 13, you got to understand that no one understands what Jesus is doing. So they're reclining at this table. Their feet are away from the table. They're reclining. They're reaching in. They're, they're eating. So it's like Jesus, and, and, and there's Judas behind him, and, and, and John is here. Because remember, John leaned into his breast to, to ask him who they were talking about, and, and then Judas is behind him. So when, when he, he dips the bread for Judas, he gives it to him. So, so, so there's Jesus and Judas and, 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 and um, John. And as they recline, their feet are away from the, the table. Jesus gets up quietly while these dudes are arguing at the table about who's the greatest. And he goes and he pours water into a basin and, and he takes off his outer garments. They're still arguing about who's the greatest, but the greatest one has already gotten up from the table. And, and, and he starts to, now he's doing this for a purpose, right? And, and so he, he pours water into this, into this basin. And you got to Im- imagine, they're lay, just laying down and he just starts to wash their feet. You got a picture. Their focus is here. Jesus is just washing their feet. So they must have looked down like, okay, he's, he's, he's washing my feet. No one asked him any questions. Like, okay, he's washing my feet. And he dries them. And the Bible says that he makes his way around. And I imagine the arguing simmered about who was the greatest. And he's walking around and he's washing feet. And finally he comes to Peter. No one says anything. They just let Jesus wash their feet. So they probably stop arguing because they feel the little tickle. Someone's washing their feet. And then he comes to Peter, and then Peter says, you ain't washing my feet. And, and the reason why Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet, is because Peter said, I understand that I'm the greatest, but you are the greatest. I, I understand that I'm the greatest in the kingdom, but I'm the greatest in the kingdom because you are the carrier of the kingdom. So I'm not going to let you wash my feet because, I, because I'm so great that I know that you're the greatest. Right? Like, so like, it's still really about like, I just know how great you are. And you got to understand this. And I, 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 I had a time with, with a friend today. First, let me say this. When I gave my life to the Lord, one of the first things that happened the very day that I gave my life to the Lord is that I didn't swear uncontrollably anymore. I used to swear like a sailor, Right? <laughs> Um, I used to take four-letter words, make them into eight-letter words, and then 12-letter words, and combine them into 16-letter words. I was really good at this, right? I was really, I was really good at this. And when I got saved, like, it was uncontrollable. And, and when I got saved, I gave my life to, to the Lord. That was the first thing that just went. Now, some of you are saying, I wish that was me. I would have liked God to take some other things. <laughs> there were some other things that I'm like, man, you really should have dealt with this other thing because swearing, whatever. All y'all swear, so I don't really care. But there's some of the things I'm like, God, you, you could have taken this one thing from me. But I share that for full disclosure. So I was with a friend this, this past week, and I've, I've known him for years, you know, and, and um, I've been trying to, like, share the gospel with him, and um, it's just really, really hard. And so we had this confrontation this, this week, and um, 
And I caught him in some lies and whatever. And like, I just kind of backed down. And I was like, listen, man, I've known you for like eight years. I told him, I was like, dude, you're, you're full of it. Like, you've lied to me for years, man. Like, I, I know. Like, I know about some of the stuff you're doing. Like, I know. You know. And then became a time I had to call him out on certain things. It was a really uncomfortable circumstance. And I don't know what's going to happen with our friendship now. But, like, you know, so, so like, but, but there was this call, call in out period. And I share that because this is what happens at the dinner table. You've got to understand that first century Palestine, there are no cars. Right? Do so you remember Jesus when, when, when um, uh, Mary and, and um, Joseph took baby Jesus and they were trying to run from death and they were on this little donkey? All right, so there are no cars. People are riding donkeys and horses up and down the streets and, and, and there's no paved roads. It's all dirt. And the horses are just, just dropping it as they go along. And so now there's dirt mixed with crap. And then here comes the disciples walking through. Dirt and crap up to the knee. That's just, it was dirty. They didn't have like, you know, street sweepers and paved roads and ordinances and policies to keep you from littering. There were no pooper scoopers. Those things didn't exist. And so they're laying at this table and they're literally full of crap. They're literally full of crap. And Jesus says, I'm going to clean your crap. That's what's so offensive about it. Because now you got to wash the manure of the day off of these feet to be clean. And so Jesus says to Peter, after Peter said, no, you're not going to wash me. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Or, or, Or some translations say, if I don't wash you, you don't belong to me. All of a sudden, this is not about feet washing anymore. This has gone to a whole nother level. Because there's no way, like, if, 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 if I can get the crap off your feet, then you don't belong to me. It just, in a natural realm, it doesn't really make that much sense anymore. Jesus goes beyond talking about washing dirty feet, and now he's talking about something way more spiritual, way more profound to Peter. Verse 9, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Get this water all over this body, because I want to belong to you. And so Jesus tells him that those who have had a bath only need their feet to be washed because their whole body is already clean and you're clean, right? And there's some stuff that happens in there with, with, with Judas, I'm sure most of you know, but I, I, I want you to focus on this part here. Jesus says that you've already had a bath, right? And so you only need your feet washed. Now, that's a historical, that's historically correct. When you go to someone's house, you wash your hands, you wash your feet, and then you go. You remember the, the whole thing with, with, with Jesus, the woman comes with, with, with her tears and she's cleaning his feet, one with the oil, and there's anointing his feet, right? Um, I'll, I'll talk more about that next week. But the point here is that Jesus has to wash your feet. And he says, if you've already had a bath, you only need your feet to be washed. In a few weeks, we're going to be doing some baptisms here. And the baptism is the bath. That's the, that's the regeneration. That's the new birth. You had the bath when you came to Jesus. So Jesus says, you don't need to get baptized every time you mess up. I felt that way when I became a Christian. I was like, I need to do this every year. I was like, every year, just take me, dunk me, because man, like I had a rough year, you know? And, but you think once you've had this bath, you don't need to get a, another bath again. You just need to have your feet washed. 
And he says, this is how you belong to me. And there's two major reasons why Jesus has to wash your feet. And my encouragement for you today is that you let Jesus wash your feet. That you, that you have to let him wash your feet. And if you don't let him wash your feet, then you don't belong to him. I don't care if you've prayed a prayer. And it's not even if you've had the bath. Because again, the reason why I'm sharing this is because I don't, I, I'm like not concerned about you guys having eternal life and going to heaven forever and having a party and floating on clouds and whatnot. Right? I'm talking about you following Jesus and living a life that God has designed for you to live. And to, and, to, and to have the sense of greatness that these disciples had from hanging out with Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus and to have the boldness that came and to, and to trust his word and to stand on his promises. And that when things start to go sideways in your life, that you know that this relationship is real and you're not just hanging out waiting to die and go to heaven. So that's why this is important for you to get your feet washed. John 13, verse 12 when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He says, do, do you understand what I have done for you? The answer to that would have been, you cleaned the crap off my feet. And it made me really uncomfortable. You've got to understand that they were uncomfortable with Jesus washing their feet. I'm really uncomfortable with Jesus washing my feet. Um... Verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. All right, so you come to church, you sing the song. Your teacher, your Lord, you're great, you're awesome. And he says, all right, that's right. You got that part right. Someone asks you, you're a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus is Lord. Like, you got all the right answers. Verse 14, he says, so now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. So now this is going beyond just you making some declaration. This is going beyond you coming to a conclusion about who Jesus is. It's not about your conclusions and, and your profound revelations and the things that you have pontificated for months and made a decision that's so profound that now you're going to heaven. That's not what this is about. Jesus says, you got your little beliefs. So now the question is, what are you going to do with your little beliefs? You, yeah, you believe I'm Lord. You believe I'm teacher. And he says, but here's the problem now. I have done something that's changed this whole relationship. I've washed your feet. So there's a problem with this now. You believe that I'm Lord, and I've done something that lords do not do. He says, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done. And that's the first reason why Jesus has to wash your feet, so that you can wash the feet of others, so that you can forgive people. If you never receive the forgiveness, you can never give it. If you never receive the love of God, you will never love the way that people need to be loved and the way that you need to love people. How many of you know that you need to love people? Last night, my wife and I were, were, were driving home um, from a, a, a friend's house, and um, they had dogs. And so we started talking about dogs, and we're talking about the sermon last week where I call kids monster. And <laughs> you can go online and listen to the message. Um, and I was asking them, like, why do we even have kids? Like, like, why do we bother with kids? Why do you want kids? They do all kinds of crazy, nasty things. Why do you want them? And, and, and so, so we started talking about, like, well, like, dogs. Like, 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 like do we want a dog, you know? Like, the, the kids really like the dog. Like, ah, we don't want a dog. And, and I started to ask, why do people even want dogs? Like, I don't understand why you want a dog. It doesn't do anything for you. 
right? So yeah, last week was kids, now I'm getting your dogs, right? Like dogs, they they don't do anything for you. You got to scoop up after them. They can't talk to you. Like they're just like little things that need to be served. And it's not like they ever mature into something great that'll do something for you. They're never going to go to college. They're never going to be able to take care of you when you get, when you get, they're probably going to die before you. Like these things make no sense to me. I don't understand why people have pets. It just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, my wife says, maybe I'll have a pet someday. I don't understand it at all. But as the conversation progressed, I came to a, a, a revelation that, yeah, like people just, you need to love something. And if you can't find people to love, then buy some cats. <laughs> get some dogs. If you can't love your neighbor, get some more cats. You feel like you hate your husband? We need a new dog, right? Because, because I need to love something. I have too much love that needs to be, like, so we need to love. And what Jesus is saying that unless you let me love you, you will never be able to love. So you'll only be able to love your dogs and your cat. But it's, until you let him love you the way that he loves you, you will never be able to, lo- like Jesus hanging on a cross, loving people who nailed his hands, like loving people who, who have who's digging in his side, like that kind of thing. Like you can't stand your, I can't stand my, crap's on my lawn. Like it, it makes me angry. Like they, they, they poop right on my front porch. I don't, whatever. Right? But like, but like Jesus, like Jesus says, like love people. You can't love people like hard people to love. Some of you are hard to love. And people need to be loved by God so they can love you. Everyone's like, I'm not going to amen that. I'm easy to love. <laughs> like, I'm easy to love. I don't need that. But, but we have to be loved by God. You have to be loved by God if you're going to carry out love the way that God has designed you to carry out love. And even in serving, you can never serve like Jesus serves unless he serves you. I don't care how many homeless people you give money to. I don't care how many soup kitchens you work in. You will do dead works all your life until Jesus serves you and you know it, until you know that God became a man to wash your feet, you will never serve the way that he serves. You will just do good works so you can say, I'm greater. And then you come to church and tell all your friends, I worked in two soup kitchens this weekend. He loves me more. I'm the greatest. And then we go back into that argument again. And then to lead well, you can never lead well. You can never lead well as a wife, as a husband, as a mother. You can never lead the way that God intends for you to lead until Christ leads you. Until you're led by the Spirit of God, you cannot lead the way that Christ— you can't lead people to the Lord unless Christ leads you to himself. So even your decisions to follow him, he needs to be the one that draws you, like we're talking about. He needs to grab you by the collar and say, come with me. Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. He has to draw you. And until you get that— You can't love, like, I meet some people who I'm like, they have been loved by God. Like, there's some people in this church who I'm like, man, like, Jesus has washed your feet. Because I see the way that you love people. That only comes from God becoming a man. Like, like he who knew no sin, he was God in heaven, he came down in the flesh, and he's like, ah, that's not enough, get lower. Wash your feet. That's not enough. Get lower. Into the ground. Ah, lower. Like, the, until you get how much I love you, I'm just going to keep descending and descending to the lower parts of hell. Lower. He goes down into hell for you. Until you get that, 
you will not go through anything for anyone. There's some people who, it's like, like if you get a flat tire and you call them, like, I better be at home watching a movie I don't like to come help you. I, I will not get down off this couch for you until you understand that Jesus got off his throne for you and that he got off this earth for you and that he got out of heaven for you. You will not get off your couch for anyone else. And the second reason why Jesus has to wash your feet, and if you, you should write this down. This is, this is the, the one point I, I really felt like the Lord spoke deeply into my heart. Um, the second reason why Jesus must wash your feet so that he can humble you to greatness. You have to be humbled to greatness. The kingdom is so different from any other thing. Like, there's just, like, I talk about the kingdom of God. Like, there, there, there are some people who, who, who I cannot have conversations with. Some of you are in this room. I can't have conversations with because there's certain things that are political. There, there's certain things that are, are cultural. There's certain things that are global that I'm just like, the, but the kingdom of God is so different. Like, you watch the news and, and like you see the way things are going and you're like some of the decisions that you have, I'm like, do you understand that the kingdom of God is different? The kingdom of God is so different. The, the views on immigrants, the kingdom of God is different. See the whole thing with police brutality and how people are responding to that. The kingdom of God is different. In the kingdom of God, you work your way down to greatness. That doesn't even make any sense. That's like rolling up a hill. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, that's how you become great. He has to humble you to greatness. This is just the way the kingdom is. You have to realize and come to terms, and this is the most difficult part, to realize and come to terms, listen up, I don't want you to miss this, that your feet are dirty. In order for Jesus to wash your feet, you have to accept, come to terms with the fact that you got crap on your feet. You will never allow him to do it if you've decided, I've already had my bath and I'm just going to make it through this. One of the things that's really troubling for me is that um, it's really difficult for me to share with someone that, like, to understand sin. Like, like yes, you've sinned. Like, you didn't just make a mistake. Like, there's certain things in, in my life I'm like, yeah, like, I, I didn't just make a mistake here. Like, however it happened, crappy feet. You can excuse it away if you want to. And pretend that it's not there. But unless Jesus washes it, you're going to walk into your next relationship with crappy feet. You're going to walk into your next situation with crappy feet. You're going you're gonna to walk. <laughs> when Jose and I and Danny were in Africa, there was this little toilet. I'm going to tell the toilet story. And um, <laughs> it just makes sense. I've already said a lot of words from the, the, the whatever, right? This little toilet that, it's just gross. It's just, it's just gross little toilet. There's like a shower and then the toilet right there. And then there's like, you know, people use the toilet and then 
stuff is around the toilet, and then you got a shower next to the toilet with the stuff. And so you're trying to get clean, but there's stuff on the floor that's not clean. And then when you want to use the bathroom, there's shower water in the toilet, on the toilet, and now we got to use this toilet. Jose, can I get an amen? <laughs> and, then, and then there was the green toilet paper. In Africa, I don't know why they have green toilet paper. They have green toilet paper. And there was just, there, there was someone who was using this green toilet and it would clog the toilet. And it's this little place that we're staying. And it clogs the toilet. And then every morning we, we wake up, there's just stuff everywhere and the green toilet paper. And we have to go in there and stand and shower. And then, so I'm like holding my breath, trying to like take a quick shower and get out. It's a mess. It's just, a, it, it's one of the worst things I've ever done. But, 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 came the day, had to use the bathroom. Go in the bathroom, someone had already used it. And there was the green toilet paper demon just hanging out there. And like I, I, like, I think Jose, for the first time, saw me lose my cool. And I blew up because I needed to use the bathroom. And I just started yelling. There's no way! I'm not going to cry. And Jose's like, Denville, you could just, you could just go. And then Danny's just laughing, taking videos. <laughs> you know, and Jose's like trying to calm me down. And... And I remember, like, I just kept saying, I, this, this, is, this is what I kept saying. I will not crap in the crap. I cannot crap in someone else's crap. Like, I just kept saying that. I, I just kept yelling that to Jose. I'm like, Jose, I will not crap in the crap. I, I just kept yelling this and top my lungs in the hotel room. And this is what happens. Listen, if you don't get your feet washed, you, crappy feet are just stepping into more crap. You're just going to drag. It's, it, yes, it's, it's, it's going to dry up. And then you're going to step in fresh one. And that's going to dry up. They're going to step in fresh one. He has to wash your feet or flush your toilet, whatever works, right? But, but whatever he does, it needs to happen. So John says, and John also writes um, uh, the, the, the first and second epistle of, of John, and he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and, pure us, and purify us from all righteousness, from all un- unrighteousness. If you, if you confess your sins, you have to be like, hey, I got dirty feet. Confess your sins. That's all it looks like. Confessing your sin doesn't mean that my feet are a little bit soiled, but I think I can make it through today. He says, confess your sins, and he will purify you from all unrighteousness. He will wash your feet. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't belong to me. And the last thing I think is really important, why Jesus has to wash your feet, is because the king washes your feet. If the king washes your feet, then what does that say about you? You will never come to know how great you are until some, someone greater does something for you. Like, you will always be on top of the world until someone who's above the world comes into the world. He humbles you to greatness. Then he washes your feet. He has to wash your feet. Let's finish up with this. Luke 22, Jesus says to them, the king of the Gentiles lorded over them to those who exercise authority over them and call them benefactors, but you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? This is the question. Listen to this. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? When you go to Denny's, when you go to your favorite restaurant, who is greater? Who is greater? You at the table or the one who is serving you? 
can't, I, I could tell you so many instances. My wife and I went to, we, we, bought, a, we, we bought a bunk bed the other day, and the, the place that gave it to us, um, gave it to us, we bought it from, it was all messed up. They brought the wrong pieces, and it was just a mess. And my wife and I were talking, and we had to, like, make this huge decision to get over this hump because I was about to go down to the store and say, listen, we just dropped so much money on this bunk bed, like, and these pieces are wrong. So what's the first thing you want? Free stuff. I need some free sheets. I need a free comforter. Customer's always right. Guy's like, that's not me. Yeah, it is. If you go somewhere and they get your order wrong, the manager needs to comp your meal. So Jesus says, who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Let me finish this up. He says, yeah, he says, yeah, it's, it's the one who's at the table, right? He says, the one who's at the table making the orders, the, the one who's entitled, the one who, who, who the waiters and servers, they have to listen to you because you're in charge. You're the greatest person in that restaurant. You are a customer. And you are always right. And by our cultural standards, you are the greatest person in that restaurant. But then Jesus says, here's the problem. I'm your waiter. So if you're the greatest person in the restaurant, and now I'm your waiter, either one of two things have happened. Either I'm saying you're greater than me, or I've changed the position of greatness. Either Jesus has lowered himself, and and he's saying, listen, guys, the one who's at the table is the greatest. And the one who's serving is the least greatest. And then he says, I am the one who's serving the table. So either he's saying, I am less than you. That's one option. He's saying, I'm waiting at the table. So by this equation, you're better than me. So one of two things, either you're better than me or I'm changing the equation all around. And I'm saying the position of servant is the one who's the best. And he changes the position around. The culture of the kingdom is completely different. So we humble ourselves. I went into this establishment and I said, listen, you forgot some pieces. And it's not what I wanted to say. You know, and it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, yeah. So it's like, oh, I just, just need as fast as we can. And my wife is like, maybe, maybe, maybe we, we should do it. Just tell them, like, I, I, I need a free mattress, you know? And, and I'm, I'm like, no, no, we talked about this already. Like, because we made a conscious decision that we're, we're not going to empower that, king, that kingdom. We just, we, we talked and we said, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to do that. Because as a customer in this culture, that's the first thing that we wanted to do. Like immediately when they left and we saw it was wrong, free stuff, free stuff. We're going to get some free stuff. That's what, that was just like instinct in this culture. And so we, we had to recognize that and like, you know what? We're not going to do this. We're, we're not, we're not going to feed this monster. Because the one who is the customer and the one who is the servant or the waiter or the cashier Jesus puts himself and aligns himself as the one who's the cashier, the one who's the server. He says, he says, that's who is the greatest, not the one who makes the demand. That's not the one who's the greatest. And then if you jump down to the last section of John 13, verse 33, Jesus says, my children, I will be with you only a little bit longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, as I've washed your feet, as I've humbled myself, that's how you have to love one another. It says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This is how you share the gospel. 
You share, you share the gospel by watching people's feet. And so I want to encourage you, you know, I've, I've been sharing with, with some friends the manner by which I share the gospel sometimes, and, and, and it's not to make converts. It's, it's, it's that, that's out the window. Jesus isn't trying to make converts because Jesus even sends people away from him who want to be converted. So, so his mission isn't conversions. But, but what this thing is, who can I serve? I want to kick the, whose feet can I wash today? How can I get, like I always say, the resources of my world and bring it into your world for your benefit? How can I do that? How can I take my greatness, impute it into your world to make you greater than me? How can I do that? How can I wash your feet? How can I serve you? How can I pray for you? Can I come to your house? Can I, wash, can I fold your clothes? Can I wash your car? Can I scoop your dog poop? What can I do to serve you? Whatever I can do, I need to serve you. And he says, that's how people are going to come to know me. That's how, that, that's how it's going to happen. Not, not because you've decided that you're the greatest and you're the best example for this. That's not why. He says you serve one another. You wash each other's feet. You take care of one another. And the strangers in, in the street, wash their feet. Wash their feet. Don't, don't condemn them and tell them they have dirty feet and then walk away. Right? Wash their feet. This is, this is, how, this, this is how this happens. So, and, and this, Romans 8 verse 9 um, says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone, I'm sorry, sorry, indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. It says, if if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then they do not belong to Christ. And this whole thing is about belonging to him. And I just want to say that the, the first step to belonging to Christ for those of you who've made a decision to follow him, you've made a decision to not go to hell, you, whatever the context of your decision met for you, um, I, I want to invite you into taking a step to live in your life in a new way today. To taking a step into live, like I'm not even talking about like a one-time decision that you make today. I'm saying this week, this week as you go about, I, I want you to remember this message, remember this sermon as much of it as you possibly can. We're going to post it up online, listen to it again. What I'm asking you to do is to change the way that you let God serve you. You have dirty feet, get them washed. And you see dirty feet, wash them. That's this ministry. That's what this is about. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Leaves. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.